three days of creation. So last week, we dealt with day one to three. Now we're going to be dealing with day four to six. Uh, and we're going to be going all the way, right up to the, kind of the first part of day six. We're not going to be completely doing day six. Uh, we're going to get to that um, next week. Um, but we see, kind of throughout this series in the book of Genesis, is that the book of Genesis not only helps us understand what happened in our distant past, but it also helps us understand what's going to happen in our distant future. Uh, the same God who created the world in six days is the same God who will redeem that creation. As it says in Romans 8, 20-21, uh, For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's a dense passage. See, although we look around and we see this world not as it should be, we read Genesis and we see in the book of Genesis, this world sounds great. But there's this disconnect. It's not the way, this world is not the way that God had originally intended it to be. We know that through the work of Christ, God is not just redeeming his a people for himself, but he's actually going to redeem all of creation. Uh, some people always like to say, you know, um, uh, heaven is my home, I'm just passing through. Well, in reality, we're not really going to be passing through this earth because God will redeem this earth. There is, in the book of Revelation, you remember, a new heavens and what else? A new earth. The earth will be redeemed. And so three words from the book of Genesis lay down the foundation for most of Christian belief. And those three words are beginning, God, created. These three words compete with every other popular view of reality that we see in this world, whether it's naturalism, this belief that the natural world is all there is, pantheism, that all things are God, or polytheism, that believe there are many gods. Those three words break down any ism that you can think of, apart from the one we see here. The book of Genesis makes these bold, unashamed claims about the nature of reality. Everything we see was made by God in time, by one God. God is the infinite, majestic creator, and everything belongs to him, and everything exists for his good pleasure. That's what we see in the book of Genesis. We are his creatures, and if we're his creatures, we need to order our lives underneath his rule and reign. We don't really get a choice. The choice will only come to us if we were God, and we are not God. God has the freedom we are underneath his rule and reign. And so in Genesis 1, we learn these amazing things about God. We learn that God is concerned not with just the intricate sort of inner workings of um, simple living cells or the speed and constancy of light or the conservation of energy. It's sort of bringing up all these old science lessons from year 8 and year 10, isn't it? Um, but he's not just concerned with that, but with beauty. Is concerned with glory and majesty and goodness. God just didn't create a universe that works, but a universe that works beautifully. He's an amazing God, worthy of all love and adoration. And if this natural world around you doesn't bring forth adoration and love and appreciation to God, man, I don't know what will. And yet, amazingly, this world is 
corrupt and broken, and yet the beauty of God just shines through, doesn't it? Well, without further ado, let's get into our text. Uh, Genesis 1, we're going to be reading 14 to 25, days 4 to 6. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the heavens, across above the earth, sorry, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're going to start day four. Day four. We arrive at day four with the earth starting to take on quite a familiar experience. Uh, we see that continents and o- uh, continents have risen up, creating the oceans. We've seen the atmosphere. We see plant life begin to propagate on the surface of the earth and expand across the face of the earth. And this earth is kind of in this primordial state. Uh, it's full of nutrients, water, a working atmosphere. It protects the earth, basically, from what's about to come next. And what's coming next? Well, we see these lights that's created on day four. These lights are created things that God has created with many purposes. And the first thing that we can tell straight off from the name, what's one of the purposes? To provide light. It's to provide light. A source which can generate its own source of light perpetually. And another one that reflects that light that comes from the greater light. We see these two lights called great lights. And they're great lights from the perspective of the earth, uh, which so far in our Uh, in our narrative has been the perspective, the viewpoint of the writer. Uh, They are great because they are the two biggest sources of light in our solar system. And uh, we already know what they are. I don't need to tell you what these things are. You look up in the night sky or the day and you see the sun and you see the moon. And fascinatingly, they are the exact same size in our sky. The exact same size. Now, they're not the exact same size in reality. But from our perspective, they are. And we know that the sun basically is at the heart of our solar system. Uh, and due to its great and impressive gravitational pull, we see its, uh, and its immense energy. It's kind of ordered the entire universe around it. And it's pulled the Earth in almost a complete perfect orbit. 
It's, it's quite amazing. Um, and considering what the sun is, we know at the center of it, it's got temperatures reaching 15 million degrees. I don't even know how to imagine that. I don't think I could imagine anything past 80 or 100 degrees. Uh, but it needs to be that hot because it needs to be hot enough to produce an important reaction, which is fusion, to fuse two hydrogen atoms together and it creates, can anyone tell me what it creates? Some science class, just random trivia throw it out there. Helium, bang on, it creates helium. And so it creates, uh, in this process of fusing these two hydrogen atoms together, it creates this immense amount of energy that comes out in radiation, electricity, and solar wind. And uh, this energy is required because it heats up the Earth. That's what heats up the Earth and keeps it to this nice temperature we have today. Um, and it's impressive what the sun is. It takes about a million Earths to fill it. Imagine that, a million Earths just to fill it. It's a hundred Earths across. It's unimaginable how big the sun really is. Uh, other planets in our solar system are either unimaginably cold or just freakishly hot. There's no other um, planet that is like Earth. We are completely and utterly unique. Uh, we're in what's called the uh, Goldilocks zone. You know the story of Goldilocks where she tries to eat the porridge and the dad's porridge is uh, too hot and that the mum's porridge is too cold, so she takes the baby's porridge and it's just right. Well, the Earth is kind of like that. We're in this just right spot, a very, very tiny slither of space that we can occupy in our universe, in our solar system, that's in this just right spot. If we were slightly close to the sun, and I'm talking by the smallest percentage, guess what would happen to us? The oceans would evaporate, we'd all be dead. Guess what would happen if we were only a tiny fraction further away from the sun? We would all be frozen. There would be no life on Earth. If the Earth even just spun a tiny bit slower, if days were not what God had set in Genesis 1, if it was slightly slower, then the sun would scorch one side of the Earth for too long, and it would mean that uh, basically one side of the Earth would get destroyed until it shifted, and then it would destroy the other side of the Earth. If it spun faster, which meant that the days were shorter, it would create these impressive cyclones which would basically just blow everything away. It's impressive how everything is so fine-tuned in the solar system. We exist in this unimaginably precarious spot to support life, and it is not by chance. It is not by chance. Day four, God has ordained it to be so, and he set these things up with perfect conditions. Now, it was important that the atmosphere was created first, before the sun. It was important that it was created first because it protects us from the sun's harmful radiation. The magnetic sphere that surrounds this Earth kind of protects us from getting blasted by radiation and basically destroy everything. Um, solar wind as well could absolutely devastate our, um, our planet and destroy most of it. And so the atmosphere needed to be created in order to protect us from this great light that God has created. And just one more little fact, uh, this perfect tilt of the earth in relation to the sun creates these four seasons that we see, you know, uh, summer, uh, autumn, winter, spring, I almost forgot the seasons for a second, that would be awkward. Uh, we know that this is one of the purposes for the sun because the text tells us that one of the purposes was for seasons. It was to create these four seasons which create these natural cycles for plant life. Uh, you know when autumn comes around what happens to all the trees? The leaves fall off. It's these natural regenerative processes that take place. 
So that's the sun. Now we've got the other great light, the moon. What happens with the moon? Well, it's perfectly placed in Earth's orbit that its perceivable diameter from our uh, perspective is the exact same size as the sun. As so you know what happens when a solar eclipse happens, the moon is so perfect that it covers the exact same size as what the sun is. It's the exact same uh, distance away, which is quite amazing. Uh, the, Earth orbits, uh, the moon orbits the Earth every 29 and a half days, which is almost a month and during the ancient world was used as the calendar. We don't use the lunar calendar anymore, um, but that would let every farmer know when he had to plant his crops. And it was a reliable calendar that happened at the exact same time every uh, single year without fail. And so we see the sun, we see the moon, and we see the stars. And the stars were also created, and part of the purpose for them was for science, such as navigation and telling the time of the year. Uh, the Egyptians could use the stars to tell when the Nile would flood. Um, navigators who would you know, take the precarious journey across the Atlantic Ocean from Europe, often uh, without a compass, would have to use the stars. The Vikings, in order to get across to England, would navigate by the stars. In fact, if you can put yourself anywhere on Earth and you had the right equipment to do it, you could work out the exact location that you are in based entirely on the stars. The stars are an amazing uh, sign to us. And it's not just humans that use the stars as a sign. I want to jump really quick into day five, but some birds navigate by the stars. It's amazing that the birds can use the stars uh, when they're migrating. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that the birds use the stars? Well, they took some migration birds and they raised them from eggs in a dark building. And then they projected onto the ceiling some stars. And based on that, those birds who had never seen these stars before could find out where their home was. It's quite amazing. Uh, it's not just humans that use the stars. And God has set these things up, and one of their purposes is for science. And the last purpose for creating these lights is to separate day from night, to separate light from darkness. And as I said earlier, this is created by the perfect rotation of the earth. It's so perfect that it creates the exact right conditions to preserve the life that God had created. Any faster, any slower, it would not be possible. We need the night to cool the earth, and we need the day to warm it up again. As we can see through creation, God has made all things in this wonderfully perfect balance. Uh, it might not feel perfect to you though, when down the road we're gonna get a 46 degree day, and you know, the sun's literally melting the road. Uh, and you're wondering, oh, I really wish night would hurry up and come so the day could start to cool down. Uh, but praise God that the average day on Earth is not the average day on the planet Venus, which is 465 degrees. It's a bit more than 46. Uh, I praise God that 46 is not that bad in, uh, in perspective. Uh, melting road is the least of your worries if you're on Venus. So. Day four, we see these lights, we see the solar system come into um, existence in all of its complexity. Like even the planets, the way that they're placed is so strategic. Uh, you think about Jupiter, Jupiter pretty much swallows up almost every comet that comes into our um, solar system. If not for Jupiter, Earth would be constantly barraged by comets. And you know comets are pretty devastating when they hit. Uh, most life would not survive it. So God, in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, has really just set this solar system up perfectly and praise God that that's the case because 
you know, anything that stays, it is a dangerous, scary place. And yet God has set the right things in motion to protect us from it. Day five and six. I'm going to link these two days together because we see in these two days similar things. Day five and six, I'm just going to read them very quickly for us. Verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and birds of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it was good. Amen. Now we see here the creation of a new type of thing. Living creatures. Living creatures. Did you catch that word? Literally in Hebrew, that which breathes. That which breathes. God fills the earth with these creatures and interestingly gives them a command. And what is that command? Be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. The fish are to swarm the oceans, to fill them completely. I've always been amazed that when, you know, I go up to Newcastle and I'm hanging out at the beach and you just see a body of water, you have no idea how much life is swarming in those waters when you look at it. The only hint you get that life is so populated in those waters is the occasional dolphin will jump up. Or if you're really lucky, which I was once in uh, 2018, I managed to see a whale off uh, Bar Beach, off the cliffs of Bar Beach. That was pretty amazing. But these tiny glimpses don't convey the magnitude of how much life is in the water. The water is literally swarming with life. There are roughly 3.5 trillion fish in the ocean, and you may think that's impressive, but that's a fraction of the size it used to be before there was overfishing and the changing environment that we see in the water. It's amazing how much life that the water can sustain. They're literally swarming with life. And it's amazing that there's this, this unexplored world, the ocean bottoms, over 90% of them have not been discovered, not been explored. There's whole sections of the world that we don't even know what is happening there. And the Hebrews had no idea that this world was just below the surface of the water. It's only really until we could chuck on some scuba gear and dive under or, you know, have some submersible submarines that we can just see how amazing uh, life underneath the water really is. Then we find birds also created on day five. Birds. Now, have you ever just looked at birds and just been like, man, I really wish I could just, just fly with them? I always had dreams as a kid about flying. It's really weird. Never had them since. Um, but birds are quite amazing. When they raise their wings, the feathers move apart just to, to let the air flow through the feathers. But then as soon as they go for the downstroke, guess what happens? All those feathers lock up. No air can pass through them. Um, they're quite amazing that they've got different bone structures to minimize their weight. They've got these amazing back muscles, which, you know, as a guy who goes to the gym, I really wish I could have some birds and back muscles. They've got this amazing aerodynamic dynamic design. Uh, and God blesses these birds and tells them, be fruitful and multiply. 
already we've seen just how effortlessly they fly through the air. And also in the same way, you can see that with um, fish. Have you ever tried to like pull a fish out of the water? I remember, you know, go to the beach, you see a few little fish, you can just like whip one out. You have to be like creed level in the office if you want to catch a fish out of the water. Um, but God, he calls these birds to be fruitful and multiply and fill the sky. Uh, they provide music, which I find fascinating is uh, the music that birds chirp out are all mating calls. Most of them are mating calls. So this uh, directive that God gives to the birds to uh, mate and reproduce also is part of their beauty and majesty. Uh, here we find God creating sex for the first time, and we see that God declares it to be very good, and it is something that he wants his creation to be involved in. Animals were directed by God to reproduce after their own kind, and God says it is good. It is good. Trees that we saw from day, uh, day three, um, algae, seaweed, all of these things created and provided the perfect ecosystem and food for all these creatures to swarm and to fill the earth and to multiply across the face of it. And by the end of the fourth day, this earth had taken on its cosmological form of a system to sustain and cultivate life. We see that basically the earth has taken on uh, the state that we are used to it seeing, uh, used to seeing. And so we see, we've got creatures that swim in the ocean, creatures that fly, but what are we missing? Creatures that don't do either. I call them the lamest of the three, and we fall into that category. They're not actually lame, don't take that seriously. Um, and so God creates these land-based creatures, uh, and the rest of the animal kingdom that we know was created according to its kind. Whether it's felines, which we see lions and cats and uh, other, uh, other you know, creatures from the feline category, canines like the wolf, different dogs, giraffes, elephants, monkeys, kangaroos, wombats, cows, sheep, slugs, all of these amazing creatures with their individual complexity, DNA and social structure, all brought forth by the creative hand of God. He purposed and made them to exist on earth within their various kinds. And this flies directly in the face of the prevailing paradigms we are taught in school, and this shouldn't surprise us. Why not? Well, everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has presuppositions. Presuppositions is just a fancy word which means something that you assume to be true without evidence. And everyone has a guiding philosophy and we are surrounded with this prevailing worldview that teaches that everything came about as a result of natural processes. Well, we've read the book of Genesis and do we think that Genesis has a similar view? Definitely not. It has a very different view, and I'm sure you've picked up on it. The Bible makes a very simple, a very watertight, I believe, argument for the creative nature of the universe. And it's this. The universe exists. Number two, it can't bring itself into existence. Number three, therefore it was brought into existence by something outside of it. Very simple argument. We see it in Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
The argument is that creation, the fact that creation exists, proves that there is a creator. Let me simplify it for you. How do you know that the chair you're sitting on was made by someone and not a result of millions of years of natural processes? You may think that's a silly question. But how do you know that that chair didn't come into existence by millions of years of wind corrosion and there was just oil on the ground that sort of heated up and molded itself and came into the position of your chair? Well, you'd say, that's ridiculous. Of course my chair didn't eventuate from natural processes. Why? Because my chair has intelligence in it. It can't come into existence by itself. Something needs to make it. Well, you take that logic to the complexity of the things we see created around us, how can we conclude anything else than it was created? And I'm not, I'm not pulling a fast one on you either. The intelligence that goes into creating the chair that you have sat on is infinitely smaller than the intelligence required to go into the most basic living cell. Even the intelligence required to go into the most basic atom. These things are complex beyond belief. And yet we know intuitively that the chair was made. And we look at the creation around us, and for some they say, oh, it's not made. It's created by natural processes. I don't understand it. See, all things find their source in the supreme, superintelligent designer that is God. God has designed all things. If there are laws in the universe, like the laws of physics, then there must be a law giver. Laws do not come into existence by themselves. And we know this, the Bible makes this claim. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. How wonderful is God? We can see just how amazing God is when we consider all the things that he has made. And boy, they're amazing, aren't they? They are so good. One last thing. You remember last week, I gave you a formula that God follows as we go through the book of Genesis. Do you remember what the formula was? Well, can anyone tell me what's missing from those last three days? Sorry, I didn't mean to put you guys on the spot there. I'll tell you what it is. Naming. Has God named anything? No. Interesting. He's been naming things for the first three days, but the last three days. Actually, no, I think there was a... Anyway. So these various creatures that have been made according to their kinds are completely nameless. Completely nameless. God finishes naming things on the third day. Number one, he speaks these things into existence, we see. He separates them based on their kinds. He assigns purpose and function. Lastly, there is evening and morning, but we're missing naming. God has held back on the names. Why? Well, he wants someone else to name them. He wants someone else with the capacity for communication and complex thinking to name them. God is going to create another animal. And this animal, very similar to the rest of the animals, but has something that will set them apart from the rest of creation. God is going to make this being in his own image. To 
the best sum of his character. To be capable of reason, rationality, logic, emotion, creativeness, passion, goodness, and sentience. And this creature is also going to be made on the sixth day. But you're going to have to come back next week to hear about this creature. I guess we all know what it is. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you that you have created this world. That before the foundation of this earth was laid, you knew us and predestined us and called us into your kingdom. Father, we thank you that we are not adrift in this absurd world without any purpose or meaning. But Lord, we know that it's created and it has a purpose and that the God who created it will redeem it. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son into this creation that despised you and rejected you and sought to be their own gods. And Lord, you called for yourself a people out of this world and you died for them and rescued them and ransomed them and brought them into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us in your image so that we can know you in a way that none of your other creatures can know. Praise you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Help us to understand him and your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.